Solar is creating a lot of jobs for people who have lost jobs, and you can't outsource those jobs. The issue is when you start putting tariffs on things, things then get more expensive. Hello and welcome to the Solar Maverick Podcast, where solar meets entrepreneurship and experience. I'm your host, Benoit Thanjan. And I'm your co-host, Lee Wang. Let's get into it. Hello, this is Benoit, your host of the Solar Maverick Podcast. I'm excited to have my co-host, Lee Wang. Back in the house. How's it going? Good. It's been a a long time, Lee. Always excited to have you co-host an episode. Lee Wang is the Director of Marketing at Renew Energy. He's also the founder of MJ Wang Media, and he's been part of this interesting podcast journey that we've been on. So I appreciate everything that you've done, Lee. Yeah, we have some great news to celebrate. Today, we reached a record for downloads, right? For downloads. So we basically, it's Tuesday. We released the podcast on Tuesday. It's been a record amount of downloads for the podcast and the library of downloads that we've had. So we thank you, everyone who's listened to the podcast, supported the podcast, and making it one of the most popular podcasts in solar on all the major platforms. So thank you. We really appreciate it. Yeah, and Benoit and I always stick to being humble so as one of our ways of living so we really welcome feedback good bad in between and we want to hear about topics that you want to listen to so Benoit, where can people reach out to you? Where do you prefer people to contact so you? So the best way is at our info email, info at renewenergy.com, R-E-N-E-U, energy.com. We apologize if it takes time for us to get back to you. We are inundated with the amount of phone calls and emails regarding the podcast or even through LinkedIn. So Yeah, but we do definitely prioritize our Mavericks out there listening, so please do uh, reach out to us and let us know what you think, what topics you want us to address. Benoit, actually, talk a little bit about your upcoming agenda, where you'll be. I know you're traveling a little bit. Yeah, definitely. So excited to be speaking, actually, at a community solar power summit by the time this podcast comes out. It's July 18th and 19th in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I'm actually speaking about the New York solar market. I'm one of the speakers and our moderator is Amanda Venga. She's on the policy team for Coalition for Community Solar Access. Melissa Kemp, who's the Senior Director of Regulatory and Government Affairs of Cypress Creek Renewables. And uh, it should be a great conference. I'm sure we're going to have a podcast episode related to community solar. It's one of the fastest growing sort of types of solar that's growing in the U.S. Basically, if you don't know what community solar is, because we do have a wide range of people, it's basically a utility-scale solar project, but then the offtake of the solar is given to residential customers or utility and commercial industrial customers in the utility zone area that's located. Every community solar program is different, and it should be a great conference. It's in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And looking forward to that. And we also are doing another event, too, in Jersey City. That's where we're based. We're actually here in the Solar Maverick Studios here in Jersey City. But we're partnering with Jersey City Tech Meetup. And it's a solar event. And I'm actually the moderator of the panel. And Suzanne, who's also a co-host of 
the podcast, is on the panel. She's the Vice President of Business Development at Renew Energy. We also have confirmed two other speakers, Steve Schward from Schward Engineering. They're a solar engineering firm. And Chris Grablitz, he's the Director of Business Development at PV Pros, which is a solar O&M company. Go to our website or go to meetup.com and look for Jersey City Tech Meetup. It's free to attend and it should be an amazing event. Probably by the time this episode comes out, we'll already have the event, but we're actually videoing and doing a podcast of it. So you'll hear about why solar is the fastest growing sector of the U.S. and what's happening. And we have a great panel. So people have asked that they would like to meet us in person. And this is another opportunity. Yeah. Speaking of Steve and Chris, I was able to meet with these two gentlemen that Benoit mentioned at our annual summer solstice event. And it was a great time. We were um, enjoying the beautiful day after the rains where it came and Benoit, just explain to people why you give back and have these events for your friends and family, customers, clients, partners. Yeah, definitely. So thank you for everyone who attended the summer solstice event. If you don't know, summer solstice is actually the longest day of sun, and that's why it's big in the solar industry. There are many events across the country for this, and it's also the unofficial actually start of summer as well. Actually, we first should thank our sponsors of the event. Our sponsors were Infinity Energy Services, which is a solar EPC company located in New Jersey, Spano Partners, which is a developer and owner of commercial, industrial, and utility scale projects in the Northeast, Schwert Consulting. They're a solar consulting and engineering firm. Both Lee and I mentioned about Steve. He was there at the event. And then CBL Markets, they have an exchange for environmental commodities. It was a great event. It was a lot of people within the industry who attended. Also, we had listeners come as well to the podcast. And we also have people who are interviewed on the podcast. And both Chris and actually Steve have been interviewed on previous episodes of the Solar Maverick podcast. So check it out. And then the long way to get to Lee's question is, you know, I think it's all about building the community and having engagement. So that's why we organize the summer solstice event. We usually actually have two events during the year, usually for the holidays and then for the summer. And then obviously we have another one. But I think it's always great to bring the community together. It was a pretty successful event and a great turnout. So we appreciate everyone who attended. And I have to say quite notably that the event was held at Hudson Hall, which Benoit is a co-owner of. The food was excellent, and that's always a key ingredient to any gathering. And I think Benoit made the uh, menu selections for the night. And one key thing that he switched up, which I appreciate, he had pulled pork sliders instead of the usual beef sliders. So kudos to Benoit for being an excellent party host. We try to like show the food at Hudson Hall is pretty amazing, and I appreciate Lee plugging Hudson Hall. I was thinking about doing that, but it's great that Lee did it. And yeah, we got great reviews on the food, and we also had like a personal private space in the side deli, so it was great and intimate outing of about 45 to 50 people in the industry. So hopefully, if you haven't been able to attend the event, hopefully we'll see you soon at one of these in the near future. So thank you again for attending. And by the time this podcast comes out, it will be closer to the fall, correct? So it'll probably come out sometime in August. Okay, yeah. Middle closer, of August. Yeah. And we have other stuff planned actually as right. well. I'm just not ready to announce it yet, but okay. there's other cool opportunities and events 
that we're having. And obviously our listeners are providing feedback too. One of the things people were talking about, which we're kind of actually doing in this July 30th event was interviewing people live for the podcast, doing some events like that, which we're doing July 30th. There's actually another one we're working on in September, but we're still kind of finalizing the details. So we're always looking for pitches for potential guests on the podcast too. So if you or you know someone who might make a great guest anywhere on the solar spectrum that is relevant, please send us an email at info at renewenergy.com. Uh, we'd love to consider who you might have for a guest possibility. Definitely. That's awesome. Yeah. So, Benoit, let's jump into some of the hot topics in solar <laughs> right now. Interestingly, the New York Times has been covering a lot of solar. They must have dedicate a lot of reporters to that beat. And they're talking a lot about the inroads that India has made in renewable and solar. Obviously, I, I don't know if it's obvious, but if you've seen Benoit, you may know he is of Indian descent. What is sort of your take on India and being able for them to really make an impact? It's such a big country and such uh, different segments of rich and poor, obviously, both extremes. Can you give us a little insight on what you think about India's chances of really becoming a leader in solar? Yeah, so it's Lee's obviously correct. I'm of Indian descent, born and raised though in New Jersey. But it's been a pretty amazing for me to see how India has grown as a solar market. We actually do work internationally. We've done work in Southeast Asia. We've actually done work in India as well two years ago. I was actually in India helping the biggest solar panel manufacturer with their strategy of selling panels in the U.S. If the audience doesn't know, there's tariffs actually on solar panels that President Trump has put on, but India has an exemption towards it. So a lot of the Indian solar panel companies have been having success selling in the U.S. market. We love helping countries that need solar, if you think about it. India, for example, has high cost of energy. They have an issue with blackouts. Also, they get a lot of sun. So solar really helps as far as economic development. And there's a lot of areas the president, Modi, has put in a lot of incentives to incentivize the development of solar. Also, certain states in India as well have, and it's exciting to see, and it's created economic opportunities. We have done stuff in India, but I prefer actually to do stuff in the U.S. more because it's a lot easier to do business, especially when we don't actually have someone out there. We do partner with a company that's out there, and when we're in Southeast Asia, they're an EPC and engineering firm that's done a lot in India. And what you learn, too, is business in all these different countries, because I've had the fortunate way of traveling to a lot of countries and doing business in different places, that it's just very unique. I mean, I think a being of Indian descent, even though I was born in the U.S., it does give an advantage because I understand the cultural sorts of things as well that's involved in the country and they feel more comfortable because they know that you're of Indian descent, even though I'm in the U.S. And a lot of these countries are looking for basically U.S. expertise. So we tend to have a, an advantage when it comes to 
winning project opportunities or getting engagements in international countries, even in Asia. Like they don't look at me as American. They look at me of Indian descent and Asian culture is very similar. So it's interesting doing businesses internationally. It's very different than doing work in America. It's exciting to see all these sort of countries that don't have the infrastructure that the U.S. does with basically power plants, transmission, distribution lines. There's massive power outages, and they're really adapting and basically taking solar in as their sort of technology source. I'm talking about like island countries. Puerto Rico is obviously trying to rebuild. Solar is becoming very important. South America, Africa as well. We've looked at stuff in Africa, Asia, the Middle East, Australia. So it's interesting, like these countries get a lot of sun sunlight, have high costs of electricity, have issues with power outages, are really like embracing solar energy and it makes economic sense. And they're trying to stimulate their economies and create economic opportunity through it. So one thing that the New York Times also covered was recent projects within New York City that were targeting low-income housing. And one of the things the article pointed to was the fact that until the low-income segment is able to adopt and afford solar power. It's not going to be a widespread change in residential use until we're able to get it more to the masses. What are some of the measures you see locally that they're helping in your experience working with New York City Housing Authority and helping low-income population? Yeah, definitely. That's a great question, Lee. So it's interesting for me to see, right? So the perception has been that solar, at least in the U.S., is only for the wealthy. So basically, the people taking advantage of these tax incentives for solar energy are people wealthy or residential building owners. It's something they have to have a certain credit score. Usually it's 650 or above to be able to get solar on their roof if it's being third-party financed. But really, states are now saying, hey, a certain amount of the solar energy has to be for low income because they don't have the opportunity to get solar. What's exciting is kind of actually what I talked about before is that community solar is one of the fastest growing types of solar in the U.S., but states are requiring that a certain percentage of it be low income. So, for example, New Jersey has a community solar pilot. Basically, how the pilot works is that 75 megawatts per year could apply to the program, but there's a certain percentage of the offtake that has to go to low income. And it's interesting because we at Renew Energy, we also develop projects. So we're actually developing one of the first projects for the New York Housing Authority, which is NYCHA. They're actually one of the biggest building owners in New York City. We're actually developing 38 buildings for solar in Manhattan and Brooklyn. It's very high profile with the different government agencies, with the mayor's office involved, NYSERDA, the Green Bank, obviously NYCHA. It's been a huge education. But part of what NYCHA is requiring us for us to develop the project is that a certain percentage of it has to go to low income. So it's a real opportunity in the market and especially in New York, because there's so much low income and affordable housing. What's also interesting about this NYCHA engagement as well is that we're also doing a community engagement piece where we're basically training NYCHA residents to install solar on their roofs as part of the project. So we're giving solar power to low income. We're also training 
residents to also install solar in their system and then be able to use those skills that we trained them for other solar projects as well. So it's been a really interesting, very complicated project that I've spent and our whole team has spent hours and hours trying to figure out because this is kind of, it's very trailblazing and obviously has to make economic sense for all parties involved to make it work. So I've been working on this project for actually almost a year now that we won this engagement, but it's really exciting. And if we're able to figure it out, it's amazing because now you're providing solar and energy to a population that doesn't have it. And also obviously promoting renewable energy, allowing people to lower their carbon footprint and basically allowing people who would not normally receive solar get solar energy and be involved in the process and and engage the community. So it was an interesting article that the New York Times had. And Lee, I, I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, I think one thing that's also interesting, you say accessibility to this type of energy source. But after the initial investment, it's been shown to actually be able to lower utility bills, which is significant for anyone, of course, but that's often underplayed as far as a benefit is that there's going to be cost savings over time, over the long term, significant with solar installations. Yeah. So I think that's a great point, Lee. So there's a cost savings to the customer for going solar energy. And one of the things why New York City is an ideal place for solar is you have high electricity cost, you have strong state level incentives. The challenge with New York City to do solar is there's not a lot of open space or rooftops. There's also the issue with shading, meaning that other tall buildings block solar that you're developing. So it's a lot more complicated actually to develop solar in New York City in the five boroughs. And that's something that we've experienced as well. So like actually three weeks ago, I was on the roofs of the different NYCHA buildings in Manhattan and Brooklyn. We did like a desktop review to kind of see the feasibility of solar based on like the condition of the roof, but also if there are other buildings that are blocking it, where is it located? Also, the other thing that people don't realize too is like solar is a long-lived asset that's going to last 20 to 30 years. So before you install the solar, you have to do some sort of roof-related work. So we're trying to come up with an innovative solution, either through some sort of roof improvement or restoration for NYCHA as well. So it's definitely a very interesting topic that people talk a lot about. And there's not a lot of solar in New York City, but we think that's going to change over time. And we're excited that we're kind of in the forefront of doing that. So, And that's part of what I'm actually talking about of this conference on Thursday And by the way, we'll give, obviously, a synopsis of this conference on a separate podcast episode. All this is pointing to the fact that solar is becoming more normalized or mainstream, which is a huge societal shift. And that's key to enacting any kind of change that we want to see. Even interesting here (laughs) where we live in Jersey City, they recently banned uh, plastic bags from stores. And it's an interesting way that people are behaving, right? So they only give out paper bags when you buy your groceries now. And people are being trained to carry their own reusable bags. But what I'm pointing to is the fact that solar has an opportunity now to become more accepted and mainstream instead of a privilege of the rich, as it previously was reality and perceived as. And with California setting the pace with all mandating solar panels on all homes built starting in 2020, I'm sure we'll see more and more followers. And and there's been nationwide polls that people want to see this type of aggressive legislation adopted nationwide. So 
a lot of good signs as far as the attitude shifting towards what solar can mean for us. Yeah, I think it's a very exciting time about renewable energy and sustainability. What Lee's talking about, basically, our society is becoming more aware. I mean, it's interesting to me. Lee knows that I'm in California all the time and you can't actually get plastic bags. So to me, I feel like California is always kind of the forefront leader. So it was not everyone's talking to me in Jersey City. Oh, my gosh, we can't get a bag. But it's been like that in California for a very long time. So I'm very comfortable with it. And it's interesting for me too, being in the solar industry for now over 10 years to kind of see how quickly it's adapting. Even though the current administration's not pro-solar, there's a lot of both Democrats and Republicans who are pushing for solar energy. Exciting things are different states. We've talked about this before, is pushing for 100% renewable energy, even companies as well. And so it's been exciting to kind of see the state-level legislation. The Also, the other thing, too, is the major cost decreases in solar energy and the efficiency of the panels and these new technologies that are coming out. So it's really an exciting time to be in the industry. There's a lot of ups and downs because of the tariffs and state-level incentives. The big federal incentive is the investment tax credit that we've talked about several times. That's basically a 30% investment tax credit. So you have a taxable appetite to take advantage of that. Sometimes people don't. So then they get the tax equity from basically a bank or some of your major companies like Google and Apple for these big commercial industrial utility scale projects. One of the things, Lee, we didn't mention is that there is some legislation. Basically, this investment tax credit drops off from 30%, then eventually to 10% in three or four years. This is a huge incentive that's allowing a lot of development of solar energy in the U.S. SIA, which is the National Lobbying Group for Solar, has been really uh, pushing to have a continuation of this 30%. It's supposed to start dropping down in 2020. They've been aggressively trying to support talking to different representatives in both the Senate and the House of Representatives to promote solar and this 30% investment tax credit. So definitely to our listeners, there are petitions out there, which we've signed our company to be a part of and reach out to these people because this is a huge incentive. The other thing too, people should know is that this is just me giving my opinion, but basically solar is creating a lot of jobs for people who have lost jobs and you can't outsource those jobs. So the cheaper it is to install solar, whether it be through incentives, obviously tariffs on solar panels, inverters, steel, and all these equipment is actually hurting the solar industry. And people in the Midwest, the South, where they've lost jobs, solar is a great way to be retrained as a solar installer. You can't outsource those jobs. But the issue is when you start putting tariffs on things, things then get more expensive. And then the first people to lose their jobs are the same people that have lost their jobs. So it's an interesting thing that I don't think a lot of Americans understand that with these tariffs, not just in the solar industry. By the way, I'm a free trade person. I'm all about free trade, I believe. Manufacturing is not coming back to the U.S. Even manufacturing of solar, and I've been in these solar panel facilities, or it's a mostly robotic process. So we as a country have to accept that manufacturing is not coming back to the U.S., that we should let countries that do things better or cheaper than us to take advantage of it. And then you have a labor force that could get retrained to install solar, but you're inevitably hurting people 
doing these sorts of tariffs, but the opinions expressed by Benoit. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just my opinion. You know, I'm huge into finance and economics and it's just an unneeded sort of tax that's hurting the economy, unfortunately. You're right. Absolutely right about other countries or who have more proficiency in certain areas that can do it better. It's, it's amazing. I'm Chinese, so the joke is that everything <laughs> is made in China, which is kind of true. I mean, even when I was over in China, and uh, this is a little off topic, but it just makes me think I'm visiting an orphanage in China. And the woman taking me on the tour jokes and says, look at all these stuffed animals in here. And she picks one up and the tax says made in China. And she says to me, Locally, they made their return trip to China, you know, so <laughs> yes. all these American gifters giving these presents, but everything's developed overseas. But it'll be interesting to see, you know, obviously the U.S. and China are actively working on a trade agreement. China has retaliated for putting tariffs on some of their goods. They're not buying agricultural goods from the U.S., and that's hurting the U.S. farmer. Then the U.S. government has put incentives for farming because of this. But it's interesting as well because now they're talking about putting tariffs on consumer electronics. Obviously, everyone loves Apple products, but imagine now you're going to have to pay 30 to 40% more for an iPhone. So like that's kind of what's been happening with the solar industry. But for a consumer, now that you start seeing, it's almost like a tax and you're hurting economic growth. It'll be interesting to see. But I'm not naming names. I'm just thinking out loud <laughs> and giving my perspective. Yeah, we'll see to, how the, to my friend. We'll see in, how in DC <laughs> and own some towers. Yeah. <laughs> It's interesting. This all speaks to one thing I was alluding to earlier was the normalization of solar. And there's an article in Fast Company that talks about these California incentives. And I'll just read an excerpt from this article. It's really interesting. And it goes, and there's another benefit to the rooftop solar mandate proponents site that's harder to quantify. It's influence on public opinion. Requiring rooftop solar on new homes normalizes it. The idea is that if homeowners in older buildings see solar installations go up on new homes, they might be more persuaded to switch their own energy systems to renewable. And it's likely that the increased visibility of home solar installations might make people more amenable to supporting larger scale policy shifts in favor of renewable energy. So the tide is definitely turning, and I'm sure you're at the forefront of this, Benoit. Yeah, definitely. So that's a great point that Lee talked about. So basically, California is requiring any new housing installation or construction has to have solar on it. And it's interesting for me to see because initially when people saw solar on the home, they're like, oh, it looks ugly, those panels on the roof. But now it's starting to change. Basically, people are saying, hey, like that shows that I'm for the environment and it's not as ugly as, and it's becoming socially accepted. Where before I would get a lot of complaints about how it looks ugly when you see it on the side of a roof. It's interesting as well because there's been like the roof tiles that Tesla has come out with. You can't even tell that it's a solar tile. So it's interesting too. Obviously the capacity, meaning the usable sun that you could take from these tiles are not as high as with the regular solar panels. But over time, the technology will advance and Elon Musk from Tesla has done a great job with marketing the product. I think it'll take time for the technology to get more advanced. And it's exciting to see for me, I mean, Over 10 years ago, I was telling people that solar is going to be economical, the costs are going to go down substantially, and the technology is going to increase. So it's just amazing. People were calling me crazy to kind of 
bet on this. Well, I did a lot of research on it before I did it. But it's interesting because so many people come back to me like, Benoit, you've been talking about this <laughs> for 10 years. So it's interesting. Everyone's like, wow, like the solar is like, it's coming up. It's new. But for me, who's someone who breathes solar seven days a week, this is just amazing to see in the progress. And so many things that I could have never expected, like the technology and the innovation that's happening. It's just mind-blowing to me and faster than I ever sort of expected. So, so it's exciting. So by the way, I have already learned my lesson. I know I always trust Benoit's advice. <laughs> so I learned. He says, do this, do that. I just say, Benoit, if you're doing it, then I should jump on board. And it's proven to be pretty good tips. Benoit and I often have discussions about life in general, business struggles. For him, it might be a Benoit's single, by the way. So anyone out there, I don't know. <laughs> I'm announcing this publicly. I don't wow. know if he wants to. He's a hot commodity on the open market. But one thing we always talk about is books we read. And Benoit recently had an opportunity to meet one of his idols. You want to talk about that? Sure. So this is uh, pretty amazing to me is I had the opportunity to meet Damon John. If you don't know who Damon John is. Then who are you? <laughs> <laughs> He is the people shark. He's actually on Shark Tank. He basically got his fame from FUBU, which was the clothing line for you by for us. us. For, for us, by us. us. Yeah. So it was interesting to meet him. 1990s. Yeah. yeah, 1990s. I guess Lee was surprised to find out that the Shark Tank is my favorite show that I'm always watching episodes and Damon's actually my favorite shark. I saw, I was in an event in New Jersey, I actually was in the front row to hear him speak and also Grant Cardone. I don't know if people know who Grant Cardone is, but he has an amazing book. I would recommend it. It's called 10X Your Life. And he's actually a very inspirational speaker. I watch his videos as well. And he basically invests in real estate. Definitely like check them both out. Damon John has like a book that I read before called The Power of Broke. What I love about Shark Tank is it really promotes entrepreneurship and you see them actually doing a deal. And it's interesting because if you don't know me, 95% of the time I'm spending it on Renew Energy, but we also get approached with different investment opportunities. So there's like basically five to 10 investment opportunities that come across my desk per week. And Lee knows that I'm analyzing different opportunities. There's been investments in renewables, real estate, stocks. Obviously, people know about the restaurant investments. Also, we actually just closed two days ago a tech investment, which I know Lee knows about, but I don't want to talk publicly about that until later on. We're actually going to have a podcast with the CEO. That's of going this to be company. really exciting. So stay tuned. Yeah. So I'm actually really excited about that investment and the opportunity and then the other investments. So, but all that has happened because of Shark Tank. It's interesting because I've taken techniques from there and then used it in my own life. And it's really like, if you haven't watched the show, it's amazing. But I obviously have a solar company and I'm constantly learning and trying to grow as a person and improve. So it was just amazing to meet him. He was a really nice guy. We had a great conversation. He was very down to earth. So it was an amazing experience meeting Damon Actually, John. Benoit, do you mind just touching upon what The Power Broke is about? So you can maybe help some of our listeners out there inspire them to pick it up and give it a read. Yeah, definitely. So we've kind of done the Solar Maverick Book Club. But what I love about The Power of Broke 
is that they say lack of capital is the most dangerous obstacle to a business. But lack of funds actually make you more creative. And that's what Damon John talks about is since he didn't have money to create for you by us, he was hustling in many different ways of his life. He talks about how he was actually working all these hours at Red Lobster. He was living with his mom, taking all that money and then basically developing his clothing line with his friends. And it's interesting to me because people perceive that you have to raise money to have a business. So I could really relate with this because I basically started my business without any capital. And I basically, for three or four years, was actually hustling on the side before it became a reality. And then people always think you have to raise family and friends, and then you have to go through a series A, B, but not for my company. I actually get criticized jokingly that, hey, Benoit, you're willing to invest in other companies, but you won't allow people to invest in your own company. It's interesting because we've been approached by a lot of investors to invest in our company itself, obviously projects that we develop. I've been hesitant to actually take outside money into the company. We've gone on a sort of slower growth path, but at the same time, too, I do have control. And then I'm able to work on projects that might not give the highest return. Like for example, the NYCHA projects is more of a passion of mine. I love the opportunity that we're providing to affordable housing. I think Lee briefly knows too about some of the things we've been talking about with NASA on marketing their technology. From a financial perspective, it might not be the best to do. There might be easier sort of money things. And once you have investors within your company, you're more focused on that, where here I'm kind of following my passion or the passion projects that I have. I know I'm going a little bit off topically. That's your passion carrying through, right? So I think that that's uh, important. So give it a read if you can. The book by Damon John, again, is called The Power of Broke, available on Amazon and everywhere else people get books these days. So Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Damon John and the Shark Tank Sharks themselves for really creating an environment and showing other entrepreneurs. It's amazing, like the impact that they're having. Also, shout out to Grant Cardone as well. Like you're making an amazing impact. I really do enjoy the videos and seeing you speak and read your books. And hopefully one day we'll have both of you on the Solar Maverick podcast. That's my goal. I talked to Damon about it. Let's see one day. And last shout out, let's conclude with some shout outs to people who leave us reviews. So if you like what you're hearing, please go on and leave us a five-star review on any of the major networks. Let's see. Let's share with our listeners here. Charlie Gilbert, he's a real estate sales professional and solar energy consultant. He writes, Hi, Benoy. I'm self-training while applying for sales positions in solar industry, and the Solar Maverick podcast is key. The last interview I had, they asked if I am coming from elsewhere in the industry. No, I am inspired to start. So... Thank you, Charlie, for writing in. And also Kyle Amstetner, who is actually Benoit. I don't recognize these professional certifications. Yes, he's a PE and PMP, yeah. so he's an engineer. Okay, I thought that. So he's an engineer. He says, hello, Benoit. I love your podcast. Just found it last week, and I've been serial listening to it. Wow, that's great. <laughs> Just breaking into the solar industry and planning to execute a DG project late this year with personal capital. Hope to connect in person someday. Keep up the great work on the podcast. So thank you, for everyone, for your feedback. And until then, the next episode awaits. 
Thank you. We appreciate your support. And that's one thing, at least personally, that I'm trying to leave is a legacy and that we're able to help people make a difference in people's lives. And we appreciate the support. The interesting thing with Charlie, he's mid-career professional, but he's become passionate about renewable energy and is using our podcast to educate and to talk about it during interviews. So we appreciate your support and we thank you for your time. See you till next time. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes and Stitcher Radio and leave us a five-star review. That helps us build this community, and that's what we're all about right now, building this community as big as we can to deliver as much value as we can. Thank you.